Hey guys, welcome back to Merlison, a bi-weekly podcast that focuses on BBC's Merlin, the show, the characters, the ships, and the fandom. I'm Miss Snowfox. And I'm Momotastic. And this week we are doing another episode review. It's season one, episode four, The Poison Chalice. It's incredible. <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, so yeah, can't wait for you guys to hear our thoughts about it. Yeah, same. Before we dive into that, we are going to hear some news. First up, the Merlin Memory Month put up prompts. The fest will be held in March. And for further information and to check out the list of prompts, visit their Tumblr. We have two pieces of news from Coinalop, the OTP convention. First one, there are still almost 20 tickets left. So if you want to attend a Merthyr-centric convention held in Canterbury at the end of September this year, Maybe go and have a look. And the second one is, some of you may remember that Coinalot hosted a charity auction last year to raise money for the convention. And if you're interested in a second auction of that sort sometime this spring, let the organizers know by voting in the poll. More information is in their post on Tumblr. It's time again to check in for Real Merlin. Please head on over to their live journal to let the mods know how far you got with your work and whether or not you'll be able to post this month. The deadline for creating has been extended until the end of February. Also, it's Fem slash February, and to honor that, there's a new fest taking place at the end of the month, which will focus on representative fanworks for Merlin's ladies, as well as allow fanworks that focus on gender headcanons that deviate from canon. Check out the Merladies Fest on Tumblr for more information. Last but not least, this is a reminder that the Merlin visual novel is still a thing and also still looking for people who want to help out, especially artists. A visual novel, for those who don't know what it is, is like a choose-your-own-adventure story, but in the form of a computer game. It's currently in the process of planning the many, many plotlines and will soon begin actual design, for which more outside help is needed. If this is something that interests you, please go and have a look. And that's it for news. So, to catch up on the many wonderful comments and episode reactions that we've received Ooh. and continue to receive, yay! We're going to add a couple to the episode reviews from now on, so please bear with us while we geek out about receiving comments. <laughs> <laughs> so the first one we have want to react to is again from Real Life Sucks Ass on Tumblr, commented on why they don't read modern AUs, and this is a reason I can, you know, I mean, not that I wouldn't have respected your reason to be just, I just like canon AUs more because, you know, that that's a perfectly valid reason. <laughs> But you wanted to explain why you don't read modern AUs. And it's actually because uh, this person loves this show so much that they want to re-experience the same feelings they had while watching the show with the characters as in character as possible and the setting as accurate to the show as possible. And I think that's... Honestly, that is amazing that, like you want to recapture that because for me it's I don't want to recapture the feeling of the show most of the time for all the reasons I've mentioned in the Murther episode and basically every other episode where I'm like honestly I love this show but it kind of sucks <laughs> but this this is just me and this is why I prefer other AUs and I I admire that you love this show so much that the only fix that you want to read for it are ones that are set in the show like could be an episode or a series of episodes in the show and you know i i admire that yeah but i think i've said already that i'm i'm quite the same in that that i really love the setting of it and like even though i get annoyed at the show that it's a bit silly sometimes but like when we discuss the kinds of fix like what Astolat writes and stuff where there's that realism to them and so it's kind of the show but better that yeah that is my bread and butter like that I would read those fix like for the rest of my life <laughs> like um but I love modern ones too but obviously there's just something magical about that forbiddenness of the medieval like you know setting and you know class and all the rest of it so yeah I I I am with you on that real life sucks um I I completely agree that there's just there's something magical about those fix that modern AUs don't always have for me. So I'm with you on that. <laughs> yeah. 
And sorry, it escapes me how you got into talking about that you like Gaius as a character so much. And I just want to say we kind of complain about him occasionally in episode reviews. You do. (laughs) Well, okay, I do. Sorry, I complain. (laughs) I complain about Gaius occasionally in episode reviews. So if you want to hear us talk about guys or if you want to hear me talk about guys um give give a give the episode reviews uh a listen and then get in on that discussion and just come back at us with your comments um but like with him it's much like with other underused characters i don't exactly dislike him as a person or as a character i just don't often like how his character is developed or used in the show and um, I can promise you, since you uh, expressed uh, the hope that we were going to do a character-specific episode for Gaia's, and I can tell you that we are going to do one in September, probably, if uh, you know if everything goes according to schedule. So Gaia's in September. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right. And then we're going to get back to comments from Woodland Goddess one since we still have a lot of yours to catch up on yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) we love that don't get us wrong we are excited (laughs) so this one is on episode four which is the episode in which we talked about merlin as a character you mentioned something about the um because we were discussing why is it that merlin's magic never really improves and why um you know he's uh, claimed to be the greatest sorcerer of all time and uh i actually don't have your comment in front of me but i do have kind of my reaction to it and i think you you basically mentioned the same kind of thing that i was thinking which is um he he uses magic from instinct and it's and it's and it's unpolished as a result now you know the point i think i was trying to make and i agree with you on this is that basically the reason why merlin is kind of said to be the greatest sorcerer of all time is not because we see him use any greater magic than anybody else, but he, you know, he's the only one that we've seen in the show that says he could use magic since before he could talk. So it's instinctual enough that, you know, he, he literally doesn't think about it. And by the time he comes to Camelot or even before that, it's, you know, kind of hinted, he can control it enough that it doesn't harm people and he can actually get it to do what he wants. You know, he moves the bed for Gaius to fall down upon. It's not out of his control. And, and that's with no tutelage whatsoever up until that point. And whereas with Morgana's magic, what we said, she was the other person that we saw with purely instinctual powers. You know, not only does she, do her powers not properly start manifesting until she's at least in her 20s, but they're seriously out of control. Like they are way, you know, into the sphere of things that can do a lot of damage. And she does, you know, she can't possibly manifest them in any kind of way. So I think what I was trying to get across and what you're saying as well woodland goddess is that you know it's his potential that makes him the greatest sorcerer and unfortunately the writers failed him as they failed him constantly um in the sense that we don't get to see him learn more and if and if he'd been taught more he probably would have become what we might expect of him but everything we see him do is things he can just do on his own and they're still either just as good or more powerful than any like high priestess we ever see in the show so i think that's where it comes from i think that one thing is that in this world even though it isn't explicitly established as canon is that you still need like the latent potential to do magic like i feel like probably not everyone could just learn to do magic i think maybe um, or it would take a lot of dedication to, to to learn magic if you don't have like the the talent for it. Um, that's just uh, what popped into my head while you were talking, which doesn't necessarily have anything to do with the point you made. I'm sorry, no, no, I think but that's just it. what 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 popped into my head is that um, you know you can like you can learn magic, but you still need uh, the like the the spark inside you and maybe just Merlin's spark has always been already a roaring fire and that's why he has so much more magical raw talent than other people have and I feel like probably Mordred and Morgana also people who just have more magical talent inside of them than like maybe Gaius did you know poor Gaius so (laughs) 
Poor, yeah, I know. I'm always picking on Gaius. Okay, and lastly for this episode, we're going to talk about your comment on episode 5, which was an episode review on Valiant. You pointed out that it breaks your heart or that, that you were really upset that Uther honestly thought that Arthur would accuse another knight of cheating just to get out of the tournament. And now that you pointed it out, I'm really upset as well because that hadn't even entered my mind yet that, you know, not only is Uther believing this random knight out of nowhere over his own son, he's also believing his son capable of trying to weasel his way out of a responsibility like that. Damn! <laughs> I mean, I just really love Uther, so I don't want to say anything. Like, no, I do agree. Like, it's pretty shitty. But I think, like, the whole point of that episode is just to show how, like, manipulative Valiant was in managing to, like, get Uther to trust him so quickly. And, like, he says all the right things and he does all the right things so that when it comes down to a moment where, you know, Arthur just ends up looking like a bit of an idiot through circumstances that are completely out of his control because you know the knight dies you know before he can testify and you know I just feel like you know it was kind of the whole point of this episode was probably as well to just show how like manipulative Valiant was in getting Uther to trust him so quickly like with saying and doing all the right things and you know unfortunately for Arthur in that particular scene everything just went wrong at the same time like the like the knight you know dies before he's able to testify and then you know the fact that it's Merlin's word that he trusts who's a servant and Uther's like who is this and I just think everything was just going a bit wrong in that moment (laughs) but you know like I said I've never been I've never been one to not admit that I'm pretty biased when it comes to my love for uh for Uther, so. <laughs> but no, I mean, Uther, you can do better. It'll be the theme of that episode because uh, we're going to talk about Uther and Gaius in the same episode, so it'll, like, you'll be Uther, you can do better, and then I'll be like, Gaius, you could do better. <laughs> That's just basically going to be the entire episode. You could do better. Alright, and with that, we're done with talking about your comments. Again, we're going to react to more of what you guys said in our next episode. But for now, we're moving on to today's topic, which is a review of The Poison Chalice. So, in case, you know, because season one was a long time ago, and as we always do with these, we give you an episode summary. So, this is coming from the Merlin Wiki, as it always is. And this is the Poison Chalice. Posing as a servant girl, the sorceress Nimue enters Camelot seeking revenge on Merlin with a plot to poison him. Meanwhile, Bayard and the Knights of Mercia are welcomed to Camelot to celebrate the union between the two kingdoms. Unaware of Nimue's true identity, Merlin saves Arthur from drinking from the Poisoned Chalice. Cue titles. By drinking the potion himself, which puts him in a deep coma. Gaius discovers the origin of the poison and needs to make an antidote to save Merlin. Arthur disobeys Uther's commands and sets off on a quest to save Merlin. He ventures deep into the forest of Balor to find an antidote, but little does he know he's walking into a trap. So the episode first aired on the 11th of October in 2008. There are three female characters who have lines in this episode. They are, of course, Gwen and Morgana from the main cast and Nimue as a supporting cast. And there are five male characters who have lines who are Arthur, Merlin, Gaius and Uther from the main cast and then Bayard as someone from the supporting cast. The enemy or monster of the week are of course Nimue, the cockatrice uh, and the Balorian spiders who are honestly just doing what they would be doing anyway but they are framed as the villains in this episode. Arthur kills one creature and that's the cockatrice. So I did some research on um, the creatures in this episode. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about the cockatrice. It's a two-legged dragon or serpent with a rooster's head, which if you think back to the episode is not how it looks in the show, but that's what it's supposed to look like according to legend. 
this looks like a rhino or something, right? <laughs> or like a big, or like a big lizard crossed with a rhino. I yeah, can't. But, but it, like, like a dinosaur, actually. It, it's on screen for like. 30 seconds it's very hard yeah. to remember i uh i think like i i made a note of it how it looks and i because i researched it and and other people compared it it looks like an oversized komodo dragon with wings so <clears throat> yeah the name cockatrice comes from old french and i'm probably mangling the pronunciation so anyone who speaks french or knows how it's supposed to sound please cover your ears <laughs> so the old french would be cockatrice and then there's always also the medieval Latin calcatrix, which in turn was translated from Greek. And I'm not going to say the word from Greek because I have no idea how to pronounce it, but I will put it in the post, I promise. And it means tracker, like someone who tracks things. So according to some legends, a cockatrice is hatched from an egg laid by a rooster and incubated by a toad. Or, according to some tales, uh, by a snake. Sometimes the cockatrice uh, is used synonymous with the basilisk. But basilisks are traditionally depicted without wings, so they're not quite the same. But they're all really not that different from what I found in my research. Like, they have similar abilities. They can kill people by looking or breathing on them or by touching them. And only weasels are immune to the cockatrice, which if this were Harry Potter, this would be really interesting. Is like the Weasley family immune to basilisks as a whole because of their name? That would be amazing. That would be <laughs> hilarious. And also the cockatrice, just like the basilisk, would die upon hearing a rooster's crow. So the cockatrice also dies from looking at itself, which is a whole level of self-hate that we don't want to get on honestly people love yourself or else you might die like a cockatrice so yeah the as you can hear from what i just said the legendary cockatrice is rather different from what they made of it in the show because this one like i said looks like an oversized komodo dragon with wings and just like, Arthur doesn't die from looking at it. He can kill it with a sword. And, you know, I'm just, like, I'm wondering why they decided to call it a cockatrice in the first place. They could have just gone with dragon, honestly. Yeah, but I I mean, I would assume it would be something to do with the fact that, obviously, dragons are one of the creatures that were wiped out because of Uther's hatred for magic and that's why it's such a big deal that Kilgara is like, you know, they literally imprisoned the last one just to make a point. <laughs> so they could have gone with something else. They could have called it something else they, or they could have made it more like an actual cockatrice. So, yeah, I'm not really sure why they chose to go with that specific creature that's nothing like it's supposed to look like. Like, even with the griffin, at least, there are enough similarities that you can be like all right this is a griffin in this specific uh universe but you can still recognize it as something that they drew from actual legends but the cockatrice is just like what <laughs> all right moving on the Balorian spiders uh, i looked them up uh, but they are definitely made up for the show um like they are called Balorian spiders because they live in the caves in the forest of balor and they are enormous spiders, so that's literally it. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about what we disliked in this episode. All right, so I'll start, because my notes are shorter than Rox's. <laughs> I um, like this episode. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just continuously confused by the timeline of, like, especially early season one... Like, so this is more than a couple of weeks after Merlin arrived in Camelot. Okay, we can probably assume that. Merlin is still unclear about the fact that he's got work when he's a servant. Like, he's he's confused that he's ha that he's actually got to do things around the castle. <laughs> like, not just for Arthur or Gaius, but occasionally he will have to do other things as well when more servants are needed, like in preparation for... Bayard's arrival, etc. So he's confused by that. So that leads me to, to the conclusion that he hasn't been in Camelot for that long yet for this to have been an issue 
yet. But still, Arthur is so loyal to him that he will disobey his father, go on a dangerous quest, and then get imprisoned for it. And I'm like, like, how is this? How is this working? We don't it doesn't really work, does it? <laughs> yeah, I I absolutely second that point. And like, if Mimo hadn't already mentioned it, that would have been my my first thing because, um, as I've mentioned uh, in the Merthyr episode part one, the Poison Chalice is still to this day my favorite Merlin episode uh, in general, but also for their relationship. But even I will admit, my like my ideal version of this episode would be if it were like a finale to season one or two like because this is i think this is the most like proactive we ever see arthur would you like like for his relationship with merlin would you agree with me on that that this is like the the most kind of proactive we ever see him doing something for merlin ever like ever it's a big deal yeah and yeah so for me that seems like it should be like a finale episode like a really big deal and it's just kind of put here and it just kind of sits there and then the following episode is just Lancelot which is a again it's a perfectly fine episode but it just doesn't really fit very well like with any kind of building of anything and they have one scene together in the next episode which is where he's just making fun of him and how useless he is so it's just kind of um yeah it doesn't you know you think that after that big like show of affection and like a respect um and and uh and in the novelization and i use that term very very loosely of this episode there's uh in the in that final scene between them there's a line about how there was a mutual understanding of what they'd gone through for each other so you would think that that would kind of carry on and it doesn't you just it's just the same <laughs> every episode is just the same from there and yeah so it's a bit like oh okay and then I feel like that then doesn't make much sense for the moment of truth because you've got that line from Merlin about how he's like oh Arthur would do the same for any village and his mother is like he's here for you and he's like I'm just his servant and you're like Merlin you know that he lay down his life for you so what like it's just like did you forget that he like went all the way to the forest of Balor and like you know like nearly died I just don't understand like how he forgot that just conveniently I don't like you know just because the writers needed him to I suppose so yeah it definitely should have come a lot later in the season but that's just kind of a a given with this show isn't it they're kind of a bit confused as to how real life works yeah so my my first kind of gripe uh that I didn't really think about until very recently when I was actually sitting down to get my thoughts together on this episode i never thought about it before but the plot of this episode is pretty contrived like even by my standards because if you think about it like it's all like the entire plot for this episode is based off of nimue wanting to get revenge on merlin and kill him like nothing would actually happen without that motivation and instead of just going and doing it she comes up with this plot that only exists to serve a made-up narrative because no villain in their right mind would poison a cup, bring it in for this, like, peace talk and hope that the poison works and hope that, you know, the fact that when she drags Merlin away into the corridor and warns him of Arthur drinking the poison, you know, I know she knows that Merlin will, you know, is a very loyal, but she doesn't know him that well. She can't be sure he's going to charge in to save Arthur's life how can she possibly stake her whole plan on that piece of information how can she be sure that she didn't take too long and that Arthur's already dead by the time Merlin comes out there how can she be sure that Arthur won't bring the antidote back like this is so like the fact that I mean yeah it's just completely preposterous <laughs> and then the fact that she goes to all the trouble to get Arthur out of Camelot for whatever reason she doesn't want to kill him but she's okay with having him die if she's okay with having him die why didn't she just let him drink and it, yeah it's just the whole thing makes no sense and it makes Nimue seem like a really ridiculous villain like really just stupid like and it's just if you want Merlin dead why don't you just infiltrate Camelot and kill him in his sleep like it's almost like she knew 
that we needed this episode. <laughs> it's just, yeah, that's like my first thing, like about the plot in general. And it's just like, yeah, um, yeah, my biggest point, like, how could she be, like, how could she bank her whole plan on the fact that even when Merlin does intercept the cup, that Uther would give it to him to drink? Because literally, Uther, three episodes prior, is praising Merlin and like, all his family for the fact that he saved Arthur's life and gives him a position at court as a as a, as a reward. I know that he's not a very predictable character, but why then would he give it to Merlin to drink, who is the prince's personal servant? And I know that he made this big accusation, but surely it would make much more sense for him to give the cup to any other servant, but like the servant of the of the prince of camelot and again she couldn't have possibly known that that is what like Gaia says she knew that you'd be forced to drink that wine how how on earth could she possibly know that and if i were her i would never stake my plan on that i'm gonna i'm gonna interject here yeah please. in the defense of nimoy <laughs> wow <laughs> okay because nimoy may not know merlin but she does know uther Okay, she has a whole history with Uther from 20 years ago when she was helping Igraine conceive uh, a child. The The assumption that I'm making, you know, it's not stated in canon, so I'm making the assumption from that is that Nimue knows Uther pretty well because presumably she's been at Camelot, in Camelot at least nine months, probably longer, uh, to work her magic and do the whole thing with the pregnancy, you know. So I suppose that she is able to gauge Uther's reaction pretty accurately, even if not Merlin's. So, and then, of course, you there's this whole thing where she's been scrying on them, like has been watching them. So... You could assume, again, assumption made, uh, you could assume that between uh, the last episode, The Mark of Nimue, when Merlin foiled her plans, and this episode, when she wants to take revenge on Merlin, um, she's been watching him for a while. Yeah. While hatching her plan as well. So, I think that what Nimue's basically plan is, um, either... Arthur drinks the poison because Merlin isn't doing anything or he's too late to do anything, then Arthur's dead and she's got revenge on Uther. Or Merlin, uh, or Uther makes Merlin drink the poison, then Merlin is dead and she's got revenge on him. Also, Arthur doesn't have anyone to protect him anymore, thus Camelot will eventually fall because apparently she knows something about their destiny. Um, as stated by when she's like, oh, you're not supposed to die at my hand, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, uh, the assumption is she knows something about a prophecy. Um, so then Camelot falls anyway, and she's got her revenge. Plus, if uh, if it's proven that the poison is, that the, the chalice is poisoned, then there's war between Bayard and Camelot, which is also going to probably lead to the ruin of Camelot. Again, her revenge is fulfilled. Or a third option, like you said, Uther makes someone else drink the poison. Merlin survives. <clears throat> and she's like, well, I got him next time. <laughs> Arthur survives. And she's like, all right, I didn't hate him that much. But still, there is, it's, it has been proven, more or less, that Bayard tried to poison Arthur and there is still war which will still bring ruin to Camelot one way or another so I feel like even if she wasn't able to know exactly what will happen her plan wasn't that poorly executed because she had like different options that, or different outcomes all of which would please her in some way mm, I think though the only problem with that is that if if the worst case happened, which is that, um, like you said, no one that she wanted to die died, so either Merlin or Arthur, and some random servant died and war was waged on Camelot, 
that isn't that doesn't fulfill her primary motivation as a villain in this episode because she's meant like her whole motivation is to get revenge on Merlin, which we still don't really know why because she says like, oh, Merlin, you'll pay for this. But like, you know, I I feel like this is probably leading on from the Mark of Nimue because if we'd have maybe gotten a little bit more information about uh, maybe why she kind of wants to get revenge on Camelot. Like, I know that we had that scene about like, oh, do you think that Arthur should know the truth about Nimue? But I feel like there's maybe not enough information for us to really understand what is what is her deal because she seems to be going to a lot of risk and a lot of trouble to do this but also we don't re- like I even now trying to figure it out like if I was watching it for the first time I'd be like hang on does she have beef with Uther is it guys is it Merlin is it Camelot as a whole does she want to kill Arthur because she seems to be going to a lot of trouble to put him in danger but then she says you're not meant to die at my hand so it's I feel like there's maybe just a bit of a lack of focus as to what does she actually want and we don't really get an answer from her until way way later in the season but by that point I feel like she's such a weak villain already that it's a bit too late like it's a bit oh I don't know um but but no I see what you mean like there is a negative outcome for Camelot or like in whichever way it happens like whether it's war or whether it's several deaths and war (laughs) like there's something that's happening that's really really bad i just feel like there's so many things that could go wrong in the plan that i'm surprised that someone that desperately apparently wants merlin dead like she would have hedged her bets on the possibility the very real possibility that he might not be forced to drink the wine which I think is like, and she's meant to be this like mastermind villain, but, um, but also how did they not recognize her? Because this is another one of my points. Like she arrives at court and like, basically Gaius and Uther, like don't recognize her, even though she's in plain sight in the great hall all the time and is noticed by both Merlin and, Oh yeah, sorry. And right in front of their noses when she's carrying those towels and is wearing that ridiculous turban the entire episode. So she sticks out like a sore thumb and we're made. So I think his excuse is, um, uh, Oh, she can enchant the eye that beholds her. But my problem with that is that we never actually see through like, the you know the um uh, uh through like the techniques that you can use in like film or tv they we're not shown that she looks different when she's by herself to how she looks to other people like not once so that is just outrageous that they didn't recognize her considering she caused a lot of hassle for them 20 years ago i would if i held a grudge the way uther does and i do I probably would recognize her very, very quickly. So I feel like that's also like if she wanted to blend in a little more, maybe don't make yourself very, very kind of conspicuous with a big hat and red and blue clothes. <laughs> I mean, the the red and blue clothes are because, well, Camelot is red and Mercer okay, is blue. Yeah, and by mixing both colors together either kingdom would assume she belongs to the others and the only reason she's wearing the other color is for like you know in in as respect as a mark of respect for the other kingdom and like you said uh, the reason why she isn't recognized by at least guys and uther is i think the like what the what they were trying to do is to say like she looks different now than she looked 20 years ago whether she changed her appearance 20 years ago or she changed it now not to be recognized is up in the air but like you said it's poorly executed because we never see what she like for example when she um appears in front of uther i think at the end of this episode um she appears in front of uther um to talk to him or either this episode or last no episode. that's an excalibur yeah yeah or is it an excalibur Okay, at least at the latest then, they could have used a different actress, maybe uh, maybe an older actress, to wearing the same kind of dress that, that Nimue usually wears on the show. To just to show that, you know, Uther remembers her differently because she used to look different back in the day. And now she looks the way that we now know her to look. 
And yeah, like you said, it's executed poorly. But I think the actual explanation is why Gaius and Uther don't recognize her is that she is supposed to look entirely different from how she used to look. And that's why they don't know it's her. Yeah. But like you said, it's just so poorly executed that it's actually kind of unbelievable <laughs> Like when it comes down to it. And the thing is, is that by that, um, by that logic, um, because... Gaius kind of clocks on to who Nimue was because he asks about the girl that pulled Merlin out into the corridor. So he kind of has a feeling who it is. But Uther never got a good look at her and he didn't know who Gaius was talking about. So when she appears in front of him in Excalibur, he shouldn't have any clue who he's talking to. And yet he somehow knows that it's Nimue. Yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. like, if I were him, I'd be like, who the hell are you? <laughs> you know, it's like, so, um, yeah, you, you, you kind of fucked up there, guys. <laughs> Just. So to pick up on something you said earlier about how she's more or less indifferent towards Arthur dying, but also maybe not, uh, which is all kinds of confusing. That is something that, yeah, literally confuses me is because she says, uh, you're not supposed to die at my hand, which I take to mean that she knows she's not the one to kill Arthur. Then again, she says, I'm the last face you'll ever see when she leaves him in the cave. Like, she makes the latch, the the stone latch, fall off with magic so that Arthur has to jump across uh, and and hold on to the to the, to the rock. And and then the, the spiders come, and she clearly assumes that he is going to die there. But at the same time, she's like, you're not supposed to die at my hand. And I mean, okay, granted, she's not the one actually stabbing him in this case, you know, but she, as good as, has actually condemned him to death herself. Like, it is her hand at which he is dying now because she's the one who put him in this situation in the first place. And I'm just like... I just don't understand what the writers were thinking when they were writing this dialogue because I'm like, contradict much? <laughs> but it also then leads on to another one of my points, which is that moment when Arthur finds Nimue in the forest and it's all a big ploy for her to lead him to the cave. And she's made herself out to look like this damsel in distress. And this is, by the way, a comment on both Nimue and Arthur as characters. I'm not just poking fun at Nimue for this. This is stupid. Like, he, like, is obviously, you know, wants to help her because she's a, a woman, you know, who's clearly been beaten or whatever. And she's like, my master did this to me. I ran away and I got lost. Please don't leave me, which, you know, fair enough, fair enough. And he's like, I won't leave you. Don't worry. And then he's like, oh, I have to do something. And then she immediately, like, just her act goes like she goes back to her normal voice straight away and then she goes why have you come to the caves and he's like blah blah blah. i need this and this and this and this and she's like i know this place i could help you and then she's like oh the mortius flower i know where they are come with me and i'm like you just said you got lost and you didn't know where you were <laughs> And he buys it as well. I'm like, which is kind of like, that's why I can buy the fact that he didn't see that Merlin had magic all this time because <laughs> he's clearly an idiot. Like, how did you miss that? <laughs> it's like, I'm, and I'm talking, this happens within about 10 seconds of on screen time. Like her saying, I'm lost. Please don't leave me to. I know this place. I could help you. <laughs> and it's just so stupid. Like, I can't believe that, like, that wasn't picked up on by anyone that made this episode. <laughs> what were they thinking? It just makes Arthur look like a, just a, just such a moron. Like, how could you possibly not see that she's playing you? Look at her face. She looks so sinister. Well, he's, he's thinking of Merlin and not paying attention or something. I That's don't the know. only explanation I have for that moment. <laughs> <laughs> just like, like even like even the look on her face is like I'm going to kill you. Like it's not even like she looks scared anymore. Like she's not clear. She's clearly not meant for acting, Nimue, because you know she couldn't she couldn't handle more than thirty seconds of staying in character. You know, it's yeah, pretty pretty bad. Like if Arthur had had a bit more uh, observational skills, as you mentioned in the episode about Arthur, maybe he wouldn't have gotten well, himself. Usually, usually he has them. <laughs> or, like, I feel like he's supposed to have them because, you know, 
he's supposed to be a trained soldier or knight and he should have observational skills but clearly he doesn't that yeah that 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 has bothered me even before i started looking for flaws in the episode like like for this review that always stood out to me i was like that is so stupid (laughs) like what the hell but yeah so all right do you have anything else that you didn't like about the episode um I think that's all the notes I had for that. Yeah, we've like spoken mostly about Nimue and like her motivation. Oh, no, sorry. I've got one more thing here. This is so, oh my God. Oh God. Okay. So making, do you know what? I'm just going to read straight from my notes. Trying to get the audience to believe Merlin actually died is possibly the worst use of screen time I have ever seen in my life. Maybe this trick would work on someone who has never seen TV or seen a movie or read a book. But unfortunately for the show, I have seen other shows before. It's even worse that they put the his heart has stopped moment in the promo at the end of the Mark of Nimue. <laughs> what? <laughs> Do you honestly expect me to believe that the title character of this show has died by episode four? <laughs> I'm just so mad at this one. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> And it's just like the most ridiculous Deus ex machina like moment just to have a really like I guess a bonding scene between Gaius and Gwen because their relationship is so important to the show after that. And of course the whole thing where Gwen kisses Merlin because she's so relieved. I'm that not he's... complaining about that. But... I should have known. Your criticism is only just you know it doesn't make she sense given, except that we got that kiss. But the thing is, that makes no sense because he's already unconscious. So he could have still just woken up from being in his coma and she could have kissed him out of relief then. Yeah. Like, there's no reason (laughs) to be pretend dead. And then you get fans who then go onto Tumblr and write detailed analysis about how Merlin has been immortal all along because his heart stopped in the poison chalice when it's common knowledge that the writers had no intention of seeing that storyline through until at least season four. So don't give me that <laughs> because and I okay, I just need to stop. <laughs> Because that just makes that 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 is one thing people bring out. They're like, uh, well, actually, did you know that when someone's heart stops, it's actually impossible for the blood to circulate to the brain. So clearly he was literally dead. Uh, actually. And I'm just like, you can shove your um actually where the sun doesn't shine, because that has absolutely nothing to do with actual in like actual evidence that the writers have given that they had no intention of doing the immortal Merlin thing until they planned out season four and five. Don't even come for me for that. Also, have you ever seen a like a doctor's TV show because hearts stop all the time and they bring them back all the time? Exactly. So there's a lot of flatlining. I mean, okay, to be fair, Merlin wasn't like shocked, like electrocuted shocked, but there was magic, which is probably better than being electrocuted. Let us move on to happier things. (laughs) Things that we liked about this episode. So, I mean, there's, again, there are a lot of, like, little things that I like because I picked them up while re-watching it a little while ago. So there's, like, Gwen's little, hmm, when Merlin's like, oh, Nimoy is gorgeous. And she's just, like, this little jealous, hmm, <laughs> which is just adorable. They could have had it all. <laughs> um. Okay, the other thing that I... Which is half a criticism, but also something I just find hilarious. Okay, this is this is actually Rox's favorite part of the show. Don't let her talk, like don't let her fool you into thinking that it's anything else. But the actual favorite thing of Rox in this episode is the official ceremonial robes of of the servants of Camelot. And I love these robes. Okay, Merlin looks absolutely adorable in them. (laughs) Don't tell me anything else. But no one else ever wears them like ever (laughs) not even during the ceremony like Merlin is the only one who actually wears these robes which leads me to think that Arthur probably just had them made specifically for Merlin I don't know what they were it's no it's clearly a gag that just got well out of hand and then the writers just like it was literally just written in there for for a laugh 
and then never brought up again. <laughs> exactly, because I don't think that Uther would spend that much money on servants' clothing because they were clearly well made. And I mean, the feathers alone would have had to cost a fortune, especially back then. So unless Uther was trying to show how wealthy the kingdom is, but then more servants would have been wearing them. But it's literally just Merlin who ever wears them in five seasons. That's ten years of of canon no one else ever wears these robes ever. not even at arthur's wedding like that would have been another like that would have been a perfect opportunity or even at the coronation i know that that was like a really emotional moment and it wouldn't have been time for a joke but even to have him wearing at least the robes without the hat like would have been a good throwback but apparently no <laughs> so yeah the robes i love them but they are like they make no sense um then what I also kind of like, like I didn't put this down as a criticism because I, it's not something that really bothers me about the show, but it's like Merlin, when he hears about the cup being poisoned, he could have had other ways of like getting it away from Arthur. Why did he have to run in and make a public announcement instead of just getting the cup away from Arthur so that he wouldn't die. I mean, I'm not sure how how he could have like cuz obviously if you're standing in front of someone who you kind of trust because, you know, she's good looking, I guess, and like, you know, she she tells you that someone you care a lot about is about to be poisoned and they have the goblet in their hand. I guess it's very natural to just burst in there because any use of magic that's that soon to him drinking that cup would have resulted in it being very obvious to everyone and would have put would have caused a lot more problems than it solved probably like there probably wouldn't have been another way of doing it but it's pretty funny stop it's like it's like at the wedding like if there's anyone who thinks these two shouldn't be joined speak now or forever hold your peace and mother's like stop pretty much it's like he, he he actually took that to me literally as opposed to just kind of you know a traditional line <laughs> exactly okay so then then uther makes uh merlin drink the thing and guys is like he's just a boy and uther says then you should have schooled him better and i rarely find myself agreeing with uther but that's exactly my point <laughs> guys should have schooled merlin better <laughs> Moving forward to when Arthur is uh, fighting the cockatrice, which is not actually a cockatrice, but <laughs> let's not dwell on that. <laughs> the way he handles his sword, and no, I don't mean that in the dirty way, although kind of a little bit I do. <laughs> I'm just really, like, when he, like, when he does things with his sword, like his actual weapon sword... <laughs> He like twirls it around. In yeah, like when he twirls it around, shot. then that that gives me a lot of feelings, honestly. Then of course there is everyone's favorite part: Merlin's sort of soul bond with Arthur. Like he knows where Arthur is and what he's doing. He's literally saving Arthur's life, even as Arthur's busy saving his. I mean, medieval boyfriends, power couple, teamwork. <laughs> that doesn't get any better than this, honestly. Which we, I mean, we never see that again, though. We never see that again. <laughs> like, you know, you would think that if they had this magical connection, maybe Merlin would have, like, used it when Mordred was sneaking up on Arthur with Excalibur. I mean, you could probably imply it in some way. Like, there are at least two more instances when Arthur is, like, unconscious or sleeping uh, where he like says Merlin's name in his sleep, and then you're okay, like, is enough. he dreaming or is he like having a vision of Merlin or whatever? Okay, yeah, fair so enough. yeah, I suppose you could probably maybe a little bit imply it, but it's never really, again, it's never really explicitly made canon. But moving on to something else, I will make you swoon. Think of how strong Arthur's hands and fingers must be. Because he held on to that rock face while wearing chainmail and weapons, and then he pulled himself up onto uh, the the next shelf and climbed the fucking wall. And I'm like, listen, yeah, 
<laughs> your hands. Oh, I really like them. <laughs> Just to like add on to because I actually haven't written this down. That's why I'm going to say it now. Well. I remember because I, I can't believe I didn't write this down because I've always mentioned this to everyone I watch this episode with because as you know I mean okay some of you don't know but Momo does I'm more of a, a Merlin like lover in the sense that like he's more like my type than like Arthur or Bradley but I will say this that in that moment you know when he's still wearing his gloves and he's trying to climb and he keeps slipping and then it and then it cuts and it cuts straight to him pulling his gloves off with his and I'm just like, oh. <laughs> we should like, have probably put a not safe for work disclaimer on this episode. Pretty much. Because, listen, Homegirl clearly has a thing about teeth. Because I was like, what is that? <laughs> the first time I saw it. And I show it like every time. Because it's because it's actually really easy to miss. And, um, and but the thing is, it's like quite a normal thing that people do. I feel like if they like have their hands full, like, or, or like, if they're wearing gloves, they might do it. But like, I there's just something about the context in which it's in as well. I'm just like, <laughs> so yeah, that that was really nice. <laughs> I agree, I agree. And then we also have to thank this episode for providing us with like amazing materials such as Merlin writhing on a bed and moaning faster and move and Arthur. Like, who needs context? I don't care. I have said for years, guys, that I would do anything, like unspeakable things to get the blooper reel for this episode. And why we didn't get them back then is because if they were laughing at stuff from the season five blooper reel, like that glove moment, and you guys know what one I'm talking about, I... It's yeah, I can't actually talk about it because it makes me really sad that we don't have it and we will never see it. So yeah, we that come on now. Like you think that there weren't like, you know, all the guys backstage, like behind the camera, like sniggering. Come on now. That's yeah. Oh, it's amazing. So something else that makes us all swoon is the deep V-neck tunic that Arthur's wearing in the cell. Because it's basically open down to his navel. Yeah. And it just makes me really happy. He looks so good in sheer white tops. <laughs> what you don't know, guys, is he actually inspired many singers from the 70s <laughs> to take up that look. Groomed eyebrows, you know, tanned, <laughs> tanned chest with a v-neck, you know, um, Looking very, very brooding. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, something something more serious now. Not not like fangirling over pretty men at all, because I'm going to talk about Gaius. <clears throat> so what I really like is that and this comes back to like some more time has passed and we don't really know how much, but Gaius certainly cares a lot more about Merlin now than he did a couple of episodes ago because or like literally one episode ago <laughs> because now he's ready to do magic to save Merlin because it's the only way that the antidote will actually work is to use magic on it while I think it was last episode when Merlin asked him well what would you do if it came out that I had magic guys was like well just not not let it happen which as if you've listened to the podcast, let rocks and me to assume that at this point Gaius wasn't fond enough of Merlin to stand by him if it came to that. But now he's even willing to do magic himself to save Arthur. Uh, sorry, Merlin. <laughs> and thus Arthur, but, you know, Gaius doesn't know that yet. That by saving Merlin, he also saves Arthur. So, yeah, that's a little... Yeah, and I love how he kind of hesitates, like, and he, and he, and, you know, Richard Wilson, I think, you know, he is, like, I don't want to call him, like, the butt of the joke in this show, but he is given a lot of comedic, like, sassy stuff to do, and, you know, he's, he's kind of underutilized in a lot of episodes, I think, and, but, I mean, he's, he's at the top of his game, acting-wise, especially in the UK, like, he's really considered a legend, and all of the, 
actors you know the young actors that worked with him will you know have said this and you know he just has and a, and it's the understated moments that show that like you know you can see on his face that he's very aware that this is a life-changing moment for him he's making a decision that is changing his allegiance more or less forever and that's a big deal <laughs> and it's quite and again it's another reason why maybe the episode should have been a bit later because again it's a big big deal for Gaius as well not just for the Merlin and Arthur relationship you know it's like yeah <laughs> he's he's risking a lot for for Merlin and it's really sweet yeah it is it is and finally my last thing is um like the little bit at the end when Morgana and Arthur talk to each other and Arthur more or less tells her what happened in the cave that like someone sent a light and it guided me out of the cave and Morgana doesn't even question that someone sent a light she's like she takes it in stride like I'm not bothered that someone used magic I just want to know who it was yeah <laughs> so I find that really interesting I mean at this point she like she might be more sympathetic to magic users than Uther is because she hates watching all these executions but she doesn't actually have reason to, like, trust magic or magic users yet, except that maybe she is a kind person in general. But she's just like, okay, someone used magic. Who was it? I'm interested. To be fair, though, in episode one, she literally says, like, oh, why are you killing him? He used magic. He wasn't hurting anyone. Like, she literally has no issue with magic at all like she's just baffled by the fact that he's so antagonistic towards it but yeah it's probably like uh, yeah maybe it would have been a bit more of a a shock like because it's like well you know it's someone's helping you with magic like you know but yeah that's actually quite interesting and yeah and and that he actually kind of acknowledges that he remembers that there was a ball of light and yeah again it's never brought up again <laughs> it's just like oh yeah um even like i don't know even kind of maybe at the end of season five, it would have been nice just for him to maybe, you know, because that might have been like a thing that you'd remember, you know, be like, oh, was it you that sent that ball of light or anything? You know, that, like that, that might have been quite, quite nice. But, you know, it was 10 years ago. So maybe, you know, fair enough. But the main thing that I love about this episode is um, the tension is really, really good. <laughs> like it's one of the tensest episodes I've ever seen of Merlin. And that's why I love it. Like there's you've got like a task that needs to be accomplished and you have a small amount of time in which to do it and that is a recipe for a really good like action-packed story because it's like you know this person will die by this point if if they're not helped and then the time is actually lessened because we find out that the magic is making things happen faster so that's just really really good and you've got the cutting back and forth between what's happening in Camelot and what's happening in Balor and it's just really good and you're just like oh come on like oh the, get the thing faster like you need to come home and it's just uh it's what and yeah I I don't think we've seen something like that uh since like I'm trying to think if we've ever seen another episode of Merlin where it's like this okay like not really the same thing, but I will say another one that's similar to that, which I adore for the same reasons. I love the Crystal Cave when I first saw it because of that reason. It's like this tension of like you can't like there's a prophecy that has to be kind of avoided and then it ends up happening anyway. And it's like creating tension, I think, is so difficult in TV because obviously you kind of know people aren't going to die. <laughs> so you need to find another way to do it. And I just think they did it really, really well. Um, I don't know if you if you agree that they like that it's a really like kind of good action packed like tense episode where you're kind of waiting for stuff to happen yeah i absolutely agree i love it um i've also put here and and i'm pretty confident in standing by this point it's the only episode i can think of where the entire and i call them kind of the gang like the immediate characters apart from uther who doesn't want to help her <laughs> um is like banding together uh to save his life like arthur gwen morgana and gaius are all like together in this like kind of effort to save his life and they're all doing their bit even if it's like supporting the mission you know to do it which is really nice because again he's so 
overlooked as a character like by the other people in his life that it's just really nice to see everyone caring so much about him and like his life like that I like I just think that's really sweet because most of the time like that doesn't happen like you might have someone concerned for him but usually like they're not and actually a lot of the times when they're out fighting uh like dangerous things Arthur like forgets where he is even and like sees him cowering in a corner or something so it's really nice to see him like really really concerned and actually taking action and the only other time he genuinely is um like saddened or concerned by like him dying is in the darkest hour and he almost like abandons the mission and is convinced by his knights that no you have to stay um so it's yeah it's just it's really nice so yeah that's just yeah i don't can you think of any other episode where something like this happens because i can't i think i think this is pretty much the only one like where merlin is in trouble i was just trying to think of one but like we we literally only have two seasons during which this could happen because by the end of or like by the beginning of season three morgana has already abandoned the gang true yeah so you only have two seasons time to do this and yeah i think i can't think of another one if you dear listeners can can think of another episode let us know but uh no i can't think of another one like i've thought about this for many years and i'm pretty sure i can't think of another one um yeah it's just really really nice because again like he's never the one that gets to get saved right like ever (laughs) he's always saving other people um or saving himself yeah exactly um another thing that i've got down here which is which is a small thing but i just think it's really nice because again we 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 never saw it since is uh him muttering magic spells in the old english uh while he's unconscious and kind of gwen taking notice and just in general like that's something that he does in this episode while he's unconscious and like not thinking and we never see it again which is a shame because that would have been quite interesting and of course like it makes sense and uh i've written down here you know gwen asking oh what uh what language is that and kind of actually sitting up and taking notice makes me surprised that it took her up to the end of season five to guess what was going on like you'd think maybe she would have put two and two together quicker if she was that observant and we see how observant she is because literally like in the first episode is it the first or second episode of season five she literally figures out that it's Sifa that's leaking uh, that's leaking information to Morgana like like literally within half an episode so I'm really surprised that she didn't realize what was going on I mean you could you could argue that by then she already had like nine or ten years more experience of being observant and like maybe had to have become more even more observant since she was crowned queen but yeah, I know what you mean. Quinn is depicted as someone who is smart and, and observant and who puts two and two together. And that she hasn't picked up on Merlin's magic sooner is, well, as anyone who's listening to this podcast, not for the first time, <laughs> a point of contention. But actually, I just realized, again, like, talking with you about it right now, like, it's it's, like, quite funny how we just kind of think of things as we're having these discussions because that's really nice that they continued that character trait because it will be so easy to like forget that like people like have these things like uh, about them but she's clearly shown to be smart and resourceful in this episode with like trying to go and get the flower and stuff and just like you know asking oh what language is that and that's something that we continuously see like I'm thinking obviously she figures out the thing about Sifa she figures out Merlin's magic in the end but also she's the only one that figures out that Morgana's not on their side and she's had no reason to suspect her unlike Merlin and Gaius because you know they know about her magic and Mordred like she has no reason to suspect her at all and she still figures it out on her own another point I have here which again I I do genuinely stand by is that this is one of the few episodes I feel like where every kind of cast member really gets a moment to shine like not just kind of they have all scenes but like they all have stuff to do that kind of shows us kind of who they are as a character and everyone gets their moment to shine like relationships wise like all the relationships are really realized but i've also written here just like every mirtha moment ever in this episode which i think we both kind of agree is just amazing (laughs) like all of it 
Oh, okay. And again, I just like I keep remembering little things that I like. But you know, when Gwen comes down to the uh, dungeons to like you know try and get the flower or whatever, and like he's acting all like oh, like you know, and then like when she picks up the flower, <laughs> the plate and looks at there's the flower, and she lo- and she looks over at him like kind of coy, and he's sitting there and like his like his face like he's kind of looking like a naughty schoolboy and like. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just the sweetest thing. And also, this is the first episode that Arthur and Gwen have a scene together. We just realized. Like, whether, I mean, I don't think you can count the, the trial scene in the Mark of Nimue because they weren't really alone. So, yeah, and it's just interesting to see their dynamic, like, like here. And just, yeah, that's, that's quite interesting. Yeah. Do you have anything else to add? Any other, like, kind of inappropriate moments? Apart from, of course, when, when Gaius, uh, oh God, I'm going to hell. Um, the, uh, the, the, the bit where Gaius, like, uh, is trying to give Merlin the antidote and Gwen's holding his nose and he goes, swallow Merlin. Swallow. Oh my God. You are going to hell. I don't even mean it from like his point of view, just in general, it's very funny to tell someone to swallow something. It's a very entertaining, like, thing to say because apparently I'm 12. You would laugh too. and on this high note i think we have reached the end of this episode please send your feedback guys this is my favorite episode please tell us what you loved about it um because this uh i just love this episode so much i'm so sad that we're like coming to the end of talking about it because it's so great but yeah yeah next time we are going to talk about another character which is morgana and then we have finally the the squad complete in our character analysis. And until then, we say goodbye from Merlissen. I'm Momotastic. And I'm a Snowfox. Bye. Bye.